you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode review series, I'll be reviewing the 2019 Twilight Zone reboot produced by Jordan Peele, Simon Kinberg, and Monkey Paw Productions, and hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the show, I'll be discussing The Wonderkind. It's the fifth episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it premiered on April 25th, 2019 on CBS All Access. But before I get into my review and everything, just a couple of housekeeping items to uh, to bring up, uh, up at the top of this episode. Um, first up is, I know that it's been a few weeks and I addressed this in the main feed episode reviewing Static. Um, but just want to say sorry for the, for the lack of output. Um, it's just, it's a one-man show. It's hard to kind of keep uh, the engines turning. Um, as 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 much as they can uh as consistently as as i would like them to to and i just have a lot of stuff on my plate and so um i'm back at it i'm really intent on getting these bonus reviews pumped out and uh you, you know just getting getting these reviews completed and actually watching this stuff it's yeah uh i have a busy few weeks ahead of me so anyway um In the meantime, since my last bonus episode, the Twilight Zone was officially renewed by CBS All Access, uh, which is awesome. It will have a second season. Uh, that was no surprise. I think I mentioned in my last review that it's, it's a shoe in for uh, a renewal anyway, just because CBS All Access is still new. It's still fresh. It's still kind of, CBS is still kind of um, building its, its catalog for CBS All Access and between Star Trek Discovery and the Twilight Zone, they would be kind of stupid not to renew the Twilight Zone for a second season since it's such a huge property. Um, despite what the internet may have you believe, it is still pretty highly rated from what I understand in terms of, um, just sheer number of subscribers and everything. So not only was it renewed, but it was announced on, uh, Saturday, which was, uh, Twilight Zone Day. I honestly, I don't know why that's Twilight Zone Day. Um, it's what, what, May 11th, May 12th? Um, <laughs> that shows how ignorant I am of Twilight Zone fandom. But anyway, um, I don't know why it's Twilight Zone Day, but it was Twilight Zone Day. That's when they announced, though, that on May 30th, when the season concludes, they're going to release all the episodes on CBS All Access in black and white, which is pretty awesome and pretty clever also because it's a good way to kind of, uh, at least keep, keep subscribers, uh, or it, I, I wouldn't say keep subscribers, uh, subscribed, but it's more, I feel like it's more of a calculated effort to, uh, stem the <laughs> Uh, presumably the mass exodus of subscribers once the Twilight Zone ends, uh, its season runs. So that's an interesting way to kind of keep people, um, uh, into the subscription, uh, at least for a little bit. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing them in black and white. I think that'll be really interesting. The, uh, footage that they've shown or the kind of gifts and, uh, pictures and videos and stuff they've released on the social media pages for the Twilight Zone look really cool. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of revisit these episodes in black and white. Um, finally, my last piece of housekeeping and everything is that today I'm recording this, uh, May 15th, Wednesday, May 15th, um, very late at night. I just recorded my static review. Um, 
I'm recording this late at night to where tomorrow is going to be a fun day at work. But anyway, um, I just need to get, I need to get this pumped out. I need to get this review because I've been putting it off for so long. Anyway, um, this morning, May 15th, um, Netflix and Black Mirror dropped the, uh, trailer for Black Mirror season five, which is going to be coming out on Netflix on June 5th, which is kind of perfect and beautiful because, uh, it is going to be released a week after the Twilight Zone concludes. So that is going to be perfect for me, assuming that I can get back on track after taking a few weeks off from recording these reviews. But I have every intention of trying my damnedest to do that. Um, so I have every intention of trying my best to do it. So that's a very vague, non-committal thing. But, uh, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the new season. It's only going to be three episodes, which is cool because it's going to kind of harken back to the, uh, first couple of seasons before the Netflix deal. I'm kind of wondering if, um, cause I, I don't, I don't think that when Netflix renewed it for season five, I don't remember if they announced that it would be six episodes, but I kind of wonder since Netflix is all about kind of like the last couple of seasons has been six episodes. I kind of wonder if they have made a deal with uh, Charlie Brooker that maybe they would do three episodes now and then do three episodes in the winter. Um, Maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, but Either way, I'm looking forward to it. The footage looks amazing. Uh, the, uh, there's, uh, is it Andrew Scott who played, um, Moriarty and Sherlock is going to be in an episode. And then we've got, uh, the actor who I'm blanking on his name, but he played, um, Manta in Aquaman and also Anthony Mackie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Eight Mile, um, are going to be in an episode. Also, Miley Cyrus is in there. Uh, it looks like it's going to be fun. It looks like it's going to be really good. Um, the production value looks great. So I can't wait. I'm actually, uh, I meant to email my boss today, but I'm going to email her tomorrow. But, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm gonna take June 5th off from work and just stay home, watch all the episodes, maybe record one or two of the reviews, maybe all three. Um, I don't know, but it's, I'm just so pumped for that. Um, and frankly, it's, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was, I almost said it was, it's something I would have done for, um, uh, for the Twilight Zone, but they're releasing week to week. So, uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's the housekeeping I have. Uh, let me go ahead and go into my review of The Wonderkind. Uh, plot summary courtesy of IMDB is actually, no, this is courtesy of CBS All Access, I believe. Uh, the plot summary is a down on his luck campaign manager is determined to get a kid elected as the president of the United States. Uh, this episode stars John Cho as Rafe Hanks. Um, he was recently in Searching, which was a great, uh, kind of thriller, and he did a really great job. Um, in that movie because it's just really just him reacting to things on a screen and not have like having very minimal, uh, actor, um, uh, co-stars to play off of. So for a good John show performance, check that out. And as Oliver Foley in this episode is Jacob Tremblay. He was in room as the kid and he was also in the predator, but I, let's not really talk about the predator. That movie was not that good. Um, but Jacob Tremblay is a really interesting young actor and I'm looking forward to seeing how his career, uh, progresses as he, as he gets older. Um, let's see. And then writer for this episode is Andrew Guest, who, uh, previously wrote for 30 Rock and was a producer on, uh, 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 Brooklyn Nine-Nine also wrote several episodes. Uh, he's got a lot of comedy credits. So he wrote for Community, um, some sitcoms like Suburgatory, and I think that was a sitcom. I never actually watched it. <laughs> yeah, it was a comedy, 20-minute comedy. And also Marry Me with uh, Casey Wilson and Ken Marino. Um, kind of one-season wonders there. Um, yeah, that's really all he has to his credit. Um yeah, he's currently a producer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or a consulting producer. But anyway, um, director for the episode was Richard Shepard. He directed about a dozen episodes of Girls on HBO and a couple episodes of Criminal Minds, uh, one episode of 30 Rock, um, Ugly Betty, 
he's so he's been around for a while now. Um, yeah, and then also I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't mention that uh, also co-starring in this episode is Allison Tolman, who was in uh, Fargo season one, uh, Castle Rock for a couple of episodes in season one. Uh, she's been in a lot of good stuff. The Sisters Brothers, uh, The House. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah she's she's a really good actress i'm i really like when she pops up and, and things she was also in uh the gift uh back in 2015 but anyway so yeah that's that's the kind of talent rundown for the episode uh for the wonderkind so my initial thoughts uh when i first watched this i've watched this episode so many times because it's been three weeks and i don't like <laughs> Because my brain is weird, I don't watch the next episode until I've reviewed the the recent episode. So I've watched this episode probably dozens of times at this point, and it's it's getting to me. <laughs> um, so I really didn't like this episode, but I recognize that it's and this might be controversial controversial, but I kind of recognize that this may be the most to this at the, up to this point <laughs> this might be the most twilight zone the new twilight zone has been um maybe i, I i'll probably end up walking that statement back but basically it seems like it is harkening back to the original twilight zone in a sign in, in a in a specific way that is more significant than I would say the other episodes have have thus far. So I'll talk about that when I get into my review. But my initial thoughts were just that um, I kind of liked the ending, but other than that, it it kind of didn't work for me. So of course I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode going forward. So please um, be be aware. Uh, watch the episode before you listen. All right. So let's start with my review, or let's go into my review. So. We open with Raph Hanks, played by John Cho. He's on a hospital bed. It's mysterious, ominous, kind of futuristic. You hear the beeping and everything, and it's the color or the light is just really abrasive. Um, and I, I was kind of into that. I was kind of really interested in that. Um, and we kind of get some dialogue saying that the, that the president is, um, or he, oh, oh, no, 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 the, the nurse or whatever asks, uh, who, asks if Rafe, uh, if Raph knows who the president is. And then it cuts to five years earlier when Raph and Mara have, uh, just gotten what they believe the current president reelected. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's referenced that he's the most unpopular president in history. And Raph is really excited about how, uh, he got him reelected and somehow Raph already has a book published which i felt was kind of uh, i'm kind of back and forth on that it's it's a nitpick it's a 100% a nitpick but he has a book published called the wonderkind um i mean it makes sense like it's just kind of presuming it's it's very presumptuous but it's uh it was kind of comical to me <laughs> it was very cocky um and so we cut back to the hospital and Raph asks who who the voice is and the the person says I'm here by order of the president and then Raph just says then I'm fucked and then it cuts to uh Raph meeting with John Larroquette who is the uh current president at that time and it's where he is basically lambasting him for uh the data that Raph used to, to quote unquote, get him reelected because it is not working and he's losing across the country and he's understandably angry. So, um, I've talked, I talked last week or not last week, but last episode, last bonus review that the overuse of profan profanity was starting to get to me because it felt too much like a crutch. And, um, when I first saw this scene in particular, I felt like, okay, it's the one scene with John Larroquette. He is just, He's just like, I don't know, it, it felt just hollow, not hollow, but it felt really um, exaggerated the way that it's just laced with so much profanity. I'm going to play a clip of this scene so you guys understand what I'm talking about. But here's uh, here is the like three or four F-bombs in the within the first three minutes of the episode. Uh, so here's John Larroquette's uh, outburst. What the fuck, Wrath? Mr. President? The singer just lost New York. Lost New Jersey! 
I'm from fucking New Jersey. I'm Mr. Fucking New Jersey. No. We're losing the whole goddamn country. No, my dad is. Oh, your dad is horse shit. I listened to you. I listened to your numbers and your polls and your fancy data and your high tech baloney. And guess what? I lost. I am a one term joke. I'm a diaper filled with baby shit. And it is all your fault. And, like, I don't know, I talked about in Replay how when uh, she drops the F-bomb right at the end, it's earned and it's it makes sense given the heat of the ep- uh, heat of the scene and the energy of the of the scene and i i mean it's the same here like john larroquette's uh character is is frustrated he's angry he just lost his election and he's already been established as the least likable uh president in the in history so it's clear like he's not a relatable person or a good person or uh or um, an understanding person or anything like that. So it, it tracks well, it makes sense, but I just, I don't know. I just, it, ugh, I, it just bothered me a little bit. And like the rest of the episode is fine as far as profanity goes, but here it just felt just like I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Again, I'm not, um, offended by it or anything by any means. I'm just, it's just like, okay, write better. Um, don't lean on profanity, um, for that. But anyway, more Mara, uh, Mora, um, gets, uh, tells, tells him that, uh, he can recover from it and everything. And then we get cut to scene, cut to a bar two years later. And there's a really peculiar shot that's echoed at the end of the episode as well, where John Cho is kind of in profile on the left side of the screen in the foreground. And then the TV is on the right but it's kind of it's in the background of the scene but both both John Cho's face and the TV are in focus so it just feels like there's a weird disconnect to the way that it's that it's shown like it looks like John Cho is it honestly it looks like John Cho is sitting there and he's acting in front of a green screen and they didn't like color correct or do like like did do whatever they do in post production to make it look like they're in the same scene. Um I have no idea why that's the case in this episode. I don't know if it was an artistic choice if that or if that was the reason why. Um but it just it feels kind of off and it kind of just uh took me out of the scene just a little bit. So John Cho is at the bar. He's, you know, whining about uh or he's he's kind of lamenting that he's, you know, down on his luck following the disaster of the Stevens campaign. And that's when the news focuses on Oliver Foley, a YouTube star that's running for president. And the people in the bar are ridiculous. They, uh, the guy says, uh, he the guy tells uh, Raph that uh, you should run his campaign. He tells it like it is, which is... Something else. I'll get. I'll get into the kind of um, social commentary in this episode later. But it just, God, it's like at one on one hand that is so authentic to the way that uh, kind of the general populace kind of talks about uh, presidential candidates and everything. Um, but on the other hand, it's just it's kind of just silly because it's it's a freaking kid. Um, and the kind of go to joke that I've been making in my head whenever I think about this episode is that uh, this episode of The Twilight Zone po- uh, uh, puts forth this very intriguing question. What is more horrifying, uh, having a YouTube star as president or an 11 year old kid as president? And the secret twist is that both are disastrous um, together it's it's just a complete disaster anyway um so we get uh jordan peele's narration i'm gonna go ahead and play that here meet raf hanks a wonderkind once the most successful campaign manager of his generation now raf finds himself in a valley of booze and regret one filled with bad choices and even worse polling he's about to embark on a misguided road to redemption. And on his way back to the top, he'll have to take a dark detour through the Twilight Zone. And, okay, so it's fine. I like the music that's playing throughout it. It's it's a nice touch. Um, But, again, it's just... Like, I... 
when I first watched this episode, I was so, um, I guess in my head or, uh, I had it in, I had it in my head, like what I said in my last bonus review that the opening narration just isn't doing anything for me in terms of the writing. Like it's, you can't, you can't emulate uh, Serling. Um, you can't like attain that level of, um, kind of poetry that he had in his narrations and the writing of it. Um, but like, it just feels, I don't, I don't want to say lazy cause that's a little reductive. It just feels too, um, too formulaic to have each one begin essentially with like meet this character's name. And I just, it just feels like it's a template rather than going episode by episode. And that just, that's kind of getting to me a little bit. So after the opening theme, we get, we go back to the hospital and Raph says that he saw an angle, he saw his shot and he took it. Um, and then we get, uh, him arriving at the Foley's house and, uh, for dinner and he takes off his tie and jacket before he goes in, kind of showing that he's not like this stuffy, um, political, uh, campaign manager guy. He's just like, he's just like them essentially. And I really like that Raph is upfront about his intentions. Like when he talks to, um, when he talks to Oliver's parents, like he is committing so hard to this idea that Oliver could be president. And he is like when, when Oliver's father calls him out on saying like, yeah, you're an opportunist, opportunist, uh, Raph's just like, uh, yeah, that, that's what I am, but no one's going to get hurt. Everyone's going to come out of this, uh, come out of this great. It's a win-win for everyone. Um, yeah. So, and I appreciate that. And I really think that this episode's saving grace is John Cho. Um, he, he is a freaking rock star. Like I, I love him. I've loved him as an actor, uh, ever since, well, Harold and Kumar, really. <laughs> um, but like, I was like, even when he was in that show, Flash Forward, I was so excited because at the time it was like right when Lost was ending and I was like, oh, this is going to be the new Lost. Um, and I was so excited because John Cho was going to be in a dramatic role. Um, and he did a great job in that show. Like I, for what that show was, it was actually pretty entertaining, but he did a good job. Um, but the more I see of him and everything, like searching and, and Columbus, uh, he's just, he's really great. And his performance in this episode is, uh, great in the face of a ridiculous premise. Um, and, uh, like he, like he sells it. Like it's, I think with a lesser actor or a less talented actor who is less inclined to commit to the role, um, this episode would have been much bigger, uh, a much bigger disaster than, than, uh, than, than what we got. Not that this episode was a disaster. It just wasn't that good, really. Um, Jacob Tremblay does fine in the episode, but I think my biggest issue is that there's nothing really special about Oliver as a character. Like, I know that this episode pays certain homage to, uh, it's a good life. Um, like there's that overhead shot of the cornfield. Um, I haven't seen it's a good life, obviously, given the, given the, uh, conceit of this podcast where I'm going through it for the first time, but I will be reviewing it's a good life eventually. But my understanding of it is about a kid who is able to send quote unquote bad adults to the cornfield. And so I appreciate the visual of the cornfield and everything, but I, I hesitate to say that it's disingenuous because it's not necessarily disingenuous. It's just an homage to an, a classic episode, but like there's nothing about Oliver's character that makes him special. There's no like twilight zone element that makes him command audiences and everything. And I'll get into the kind of twilight zone element of this episode in a bit, but just, I think that that's kind of one of my biggest gripes is that it positions Oliver as this character who connects with his constituents and his audience and everything. Um, but it's really just telling us that and doesn't necessarily show us that except for a couple scant, like, uh, news clips and everything. And, and that bar scene, but it just doesn't, there's no like magnetism to Oliver as a character. Um, and I think that that's kind of, kind of an issue that I ran into the hundred times I watched this freaking thing. Um, 
But yeah, back to John Cho. I think that his performance is, is the episode Saving Grace. And I really like the way that he sells the family on on Oliver running for president for real. Um, he tells him that it's going to be the experience of a lifetime and that when he comes out of it, he's going to he's gonna have enough money to pay for college, for his sister's college, for the dog's college. Um, and he's going to have book deals and everything. It's going to be amazing. And it's a win-win. And I... I I like that because he's also upfront about how like, Oh, he's going to be on TV again. He's going to be, he's going to gain his, his, uh, power back as a campaign manager. Um, that's when Oliver comes in and says that he's, uh, making another video. So, uh, and he, and he invites Raph to watch it being made. And, uh, this is the, uh, this, is where he goes through his campaign promises. And so I made a list of the 10 campaign promises of Oliver Foley. Um, this is shown in the video and then it kind of, it transitions into the rally that he has in Iowa. But basically he says, jo- he says that, uh, he's going to have more jobs for everyone, uh, longer vacations, uh, less Star Wars movies, which I'm kind of all about. Um, <laughs> like I, I would probably vote for him for that. Um, uh, better air to breathe, so more people are going to ride bikes everywhere. Uh, less war. Uh, this is so dumb. It's, this is dumb. Um, <laughs> number six is dogs for dog people and cats for cat people. Um, and then I think number seven is more pancake houses throughout the land, please. Uh, number eight is free free video games for every American. Uh, and then number nine is every month will have its own holiday. And number 10 is dessert is f- before dinner. And man, it's, it would be a much better, a much easier pill to swallow if there was some kind of Twilight Zone element that made him magnetic to, uh, to his audience. Uh, but again, I'll talk to you about that. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So, um, we get, it's a time jump. There are time jumps all over this episode that kind of feels a little, I don't, I don't want to say it's cutting corners because while it is cutting corners, it's also, it's also, uh, just kind of, um, moving the plot along in, in a more organic way than, than cutting corners would, would lead you to believe. But anyway, um, we start to see Oliver kind of, get wrapped up in the power that he has commanding people. Like he tells, uh, him and Raph are talking about, um, basically their plans for the campaign. And, and Raph says that, uh, the choreography is being worked out and the dancers are going to be, are being worked out and the studio is being, uh, rented for a new video for, uh, for Oliver to make. And, uh, that's when Oliver says like, it's been two months. You can do better Raph. And that's like, that's the first part where it's like, okay, this is not gonna, um, this is gonna lead to, to, um, it's only gonna get worse, um, for the characters. Um, that's when we get, uh, Raph meeting up with Mara again. Mara followed, uh, followed him to Iowa and she joins the campaign. It's fine. It's okay. Um, sure. And then it cuts back to the hospital and the guy says, we're going to have to operate. Your condition is not stable. To which Raph says he wasn't sure he was ever stable and that a stable person would have seen what was happening, which, okay, on, on, for, for one thing, I think that that's kind of clunky, um, just a little bit in terms of, um, just, writing it's it's a little i don't know if i'd say it's a leap but it's kind of it's just clunky like okay the the nurse or the uh person in like in the room is telling him like oh his condition's not stable and then that like while raf is potentially dying on a hospital bed he's like uh he's being very self-reflective and it just it feels just kind of a little a little uh silly to me but i do appreciate that idea a little bit, the idea that he is aware that he was not stable and he, that a stable person would have seen what was happening because Raph's hubris drove him to do something ridiculous and reckless for his own benefit. And it ended up blowing up in his face in a very significant way and is ultimately leading to, uh, there's no way, there's really no way he comes out of this episode alive. So it's leading to his death. Um, and it's just, I, I appreciate that. And, and that's kind of where I'll, uh, I'll come back to that in a bit. Um, what I will say, as I said, I've watched this episode several times. Um, if I never hear that campaign song again, 
it will not be too soon. Um, and it's ridiculous because I'm going to put that clip in this episode so that everyone else can have this freaking song in their head. Um, I, it's just so annoying to me. <laughs> um, but here's a clip of Oliver, Oliver Foley's, uh, just really stupid uh, campaign song that he does in his video. So here's where I'll talk about, and you're welcome, by the way, guys. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the thing about this episode that I'm really struggling with at this point is the lack of a Twilight Zone device, as I mentioned before. So as I mentioned, Oliver isn't some super-powered being. There's no real sci-fi slant at all coming into play in the story. And that's something that I kind of... That's, that's where I struggled the most with this episode. Like... It says something, I don't know what it says about me or about the show or about the writing. I don't know what it says about whatever, but it's kind of crazy to me that like a, a story about a, an 11 year old kid becoming president, uh, in a story about an 11, an 11 year old kid becoming president. The thing that I struggle with the most is the fact that there's no sci-fi element to it per se. Um, and like there are a couple of things that I've, I've kind of come to terms with about it or I've, I've kind of thought about um after uh, upon reflecting on the episode but like you could argue that it's the country itself that is the twilight zone device like stupidity and gullibility of the american public and the way we are much more concerned with celebrity than we are with you know policy or like genuine like you know intentions from politicians um, if those exist, <laughs> um, uh, but we're just more concerned with celebrity and, uh, um, just kind of celebrity and it's demonstrated well, like this idea is demonstrated particularly well in the news footage of people reacting to Oliver. Like they're total freaking morons saying just completely vague platitudes of talking about how, oh, he's going to make, um, He's yeah, like he's gonna bring the country back to to where it was. I'll actually play a clip of the of that here. Um, so here's a clip of the morons talking on the news about Oliver Foley and why they would vote for him. Well, Oliver's not one of these greasy pontucksters. We got plenty of those. There's something inspirational about starting off with someone fresh, you know, someone that believes in the things that I believe. to make this country stronger. I mean, he wants to bring us back to basics, back to what made this this nation great. My grandkids love him. And I really like um okay. So it's clear that this episode is very much a uh, a not so subtle dig at like Donald Trump. And I am all for that type of satire and um uh, ridiculous kind of poking fun at it. But the thing, like, okay, there are certain elements of Oliver Foley's story that, that feels like it's just very much like, oh, it's Trump as a kid in the White House. And I'm, I'm totally for that and everything. But it's also, and this is where I, I don't know if I have any Trump supporters as, as, uh, as listeners or anything, but, um, I just kind of feel like those news, news bites, the, of people talking about it is exactly what Trump supporters sound like when, uh, especially during the 2016 campaign. It's like, like I know people who just said just vague, vague bullshit things, um, as, uh, as reasons to support Donald Trump. And it's like, okay, like, what do you exactly, like, they're, and they would not go into specifics about it. Like, oh, I think the country should be run like a business. Like, well, what the, what does that mean? Like, in Donald Trump is, is a terrible businessman. <laughs> like, he's failed numerous times. Like, what does that mean? And how do you, like, I don't understand anything, but, um, but yeah, it just feels like those types of kind of just vague statements is just like what, 
the state of political discourse and, and support and everything is today. And I'm not just saying just Trump supporters either. It's just like people get so up their asses about their particular political beliefs that, you know, it's just if you are surrounding yourself in uh, surrounding yourself with people who have the same political ideals as you and you are just parroting off different um different statements and everything without actually discussing the issues and everything just because okay you align yourself with this with the ideals of one particular um political party rather than the other it's like okay well that means the other political party is the enemy to you and you need to shore up your uh conversations with just vague stupid um <laughs> um uh points that don't actually make any sense but it will just be shut down i'm talking about both sides of the aisle here and it's just it's i don't know it's just it's frustrating so anyway this in this episode the news footage of people reacting to oliver and talking about how like oh he tells it like it is and he's just gonna he's gonna uh he's going to do he's going to do for the country he's going to bring us back to what this country is all about it's just it's really just vague jingoistic bullshit kind of platitudes that mean nothing and that's stuff that i've that i saw firsthand in the 2016 or uh the, the yeah the 2016 elections the midterm elections the everything that's going on really it's ugh, it's just it's it's aggravating but anyway um, and I'm sure it's going to be the same for 2020 and 2024 and 2028. And by that time, we'll probably all be gone. But anyway, um, so going back to the episode, Oliver's filming his, his video. He goes to his parents after he's done and he is whining about, uh, having to go to the doctor. And okay. So this, this seeds the idea, this establishes the idea that he doesn't like doctors and he thinks that they're just old people that are poking him with, with needles. Um, and that comes into play later because he's going to eventually get all of the doctors in the country, I guess, uh, to be young people. Um, which, sure. Okay. Fine. I'll go along with it. Whatever. But. It's, it's a good way to establish it, but the way that he acts and behaves at his parents, uh, yelling at them, screaming that he hates them and running away, it's like, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's really irritating. <laughs> Makes me never want to have kids even more than I don't want them now. Um, but it should also be the moment where everyone realizes how stupid of an idea this is. And the absence of like an overt Twilight Zone device to, establish that you know uh the why of what's going on um or why everyone is going along with this the absence of that device is what is the most detrimental to this episode like um it's the same kind of idea as um the comedian like okay you can understand like you can you can say that when um kumail's character gets it meets with tracy morgan uh it's basically saying like okay you got to give yourself to to the crowd and he he tells his personal stories on stage that is what triggers them to applaud and laugh and everything so like that device that's a device that, that is a twilight zone device like that is the supernatural element to the twilight zone that it is creating this scenario in which he is a, a star of a comedian uh, here in this episode, there's nothing like that. There's nothing established that says why Oliver is, um, is, is, uh, kind of capturing the imagination of an entire nation. Um, none of that. And with the absence of that, it becomes even, it becomes too much of a ridiculous premise to really get on board with because there's nothing to tell you why it's okay. And I understand, yes, it is the Twilight Zone. It is a series that is living in this alternate world where things of absurd natures, uh, occur. And, you know, you can, like, throughout the majority of what I've seen of the original series, like, that's what, uh, you can expect. But there's all, there always seems to be a device, a reason behind it. But here, there's no reason for it. And that's just what is really kind of irritating for me or irritating to me. 
So next up, we get the debate prep scene where it's revealed, well, not revealed, but it's shown that Oliver doesn't know anything, and that's pretty obvious, but he tries to deflect the Iraq question. I appreciate that because it is purely deflection. He says, I'm glad you asked me about Iraq. Um, it's an important topic, but not something that we can talk about here in 30, 30 second snippets. Um, and that's just what politicians do. And, uh, not to point any fingers, but the Trump administration for the last two and a half years or however long it's been to almost two and a half years, uh, 16, 17, 18. God, I don't know how long it's been. I, it's almost midnight guys. Um, for the last, yeah, two and a half years. Good God. Anyway, um, for the last two, two and a half years, like it's been all deflection. Like every, like it's, like it's, if you don't think that, if you think that the Trump administration is being honest with you, um, and, in, and isn't deflecting your attention and everything, then you're clearly not paying close enough attention because it is very obvious that that's kind of the bread and butter of it, um, of what Trump in his administration is doing anyway. And I, so I appreciate that the debate coach Larry in this scene is like the one character who sees things as they are during the campaign. Um, and I like that Raph fires him be just strictly out of arrogance. Like he is, he's completely un, unwilling to accept Larry's concerns and, uh, perspective on it because he believes that Oliver Foley can become president. Um, again, like and like it's later talked about how he is um how how uh Oliver is connecting with people and how um apparently Raph starts to buy into it and everything but there's nothing in the episode to really make you believe that Raph is buying into Oliver's stuff and it kind of contradicts some of the stuff about you know Raph's hubris and how he is uh kind of being hoisted by his own petard in this episode. Um, I don't know. I'll get to that in a bit, I think, uh, in more detail, but the actual debate moment is hysterical. Um, <laughs> like seeing Oliver stumble on stage about, uh, taxes and everything is just, it's kind of hilarious and it's, uh, it's, it's really funny and stupid, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Um, then we get to, uh, Raph in the hospital bed and this is where, <laughs> uh, the attending physician or the, the nurse or what have you, the orderly, I don't know what he would technically be, but, um, he tells him that the doctor was held up. He's on a different level. Um, and that made me laugh in retrospect because like the way he says it, he's, he says he's on a different level. Um, it's just, it's, it's one of, it leads to one of my favorite moments at the end of this episode that I'll get to at the end. But, um, I just really liked that kind of seating line there. Um, so after the debate fiasco, Raph is back at the bar. He's confronted with the fact that he's a joke. Um, the TV is talking about how he's, how he's a joke and the bartender turns it off. Um, yeah. And then Mara comes in and tries to con console him. And he says, I started this whole thing to get out of the mess I was in, but along the way I started believing what he was saying. Um, and okay. So here we go. The conviction in John Cho's performance almost makes up for the fact that there's really no other indication that Oliver says anything interesting or appealing enough to be taken seriously as a pres presidential candidate at all, much less say anything um or do anything that would make John Cho John Cho's character truly believe in what in in Oliver's kind of position to become president it's just it's such a ridiculous over the top premise and to have the main character talk about how he started to believe in the candidate when the candidate isn't doing anything like it's just not it's it's a disconnect there it doesn't make any sense and I, I don't know. It just, that bothered me quite a bit. Um, so Mara tells, tells him that he, she went to the Foley's to check on them. The dog is dying. Um, and Oliver wants to, wants Mara to ask 
Raph if it's okay for him to make a video about the dog. And that's when Raph gets inspired and runs out of the bar saying that uh, he's going to get Oliver Foley elected president. Um, also, just real quick, the way that he slaps the bar patron's back as he's walking out the door just looks like it hurt. Like, I don't know, that that kind of made me cringe a little bit um, each time I watched it. So... Then we cut to the video of the dog, and it's, again, it's kind of ridiculous, and it's very uh, surface level, which I think plays into the fact that the that the uh, citizens of the country, the the populace of, of America in this episode is kind of ridiculous and just straightforward, because when we see the dog and, uh, and Oliver references that he's dying, it just says, incurable dog cancer. And I was like, okay, that's, that's whatever. That's funny. Um, and I know it's probably intentionally funny, obviously, but, uh, I just, I thought that was silly and kind of fun. But yeah, so this, this leads to, and Oliver talks about how family is important and he's going to surround himself with the best people, uh, to get, to get the job done and everything, which is, you know, whatever. Um, so then we see that Oliver wins the Iowa caucus and then, cut to him as president and that's a big leap in a premise that is already testing the audience's suspension of disbelief um i just i don't know i think that the episode taking so much time to establish the campaign and go through the campaign um just feels I don't know. I, I, I'm back and forth on that. So it feels just kind of jarring to have him immediately become president. Um, not maybe not immediately become president, but suddenly become president. Um, after we only see him interact with, like, we don't hear any other candidates talk. Like, we just see him on the debate floor and, uh, everything. But then again, it's kind of an allegory to, uh, Donald Trump's rise to the presidency. And Donald Trump is, you know, um, probably isn't the best debater. I can't, uh, the, every time I see him, like, it's just, he's boisterous and, and very flamboyant and, and just, uh, uh, just moronic really. Um, but even when you have like the most, uh, I don't know when, when you have like actual seasoned politicians going up against him, it's, it's, he still got elected president. So I can kind of understand the leap here, but I think it's just too big of a leap to see him just not have any other interaction with the other candidates and everything. I, I don't know. So as soon as he gets into office, he wants to fulfill his promises. Uh, he references, well, he talks about how he wants everyone to have video games and he references Game Boys, which felt real, really weird and antiquated, but, uh, that's a nitpick, so I'll move past it. Um, and when the, like, the chief of staff says, like, well, I don't think Congress will go for that, he just demands that it happens and he threatens to tax video game companies and, and he says that if you can't get it done, if, then he'll get someone else in to get it done. Um, it's all in all pretty silly, but also feels like it's another allegory to like Trump and everything. Um, and kind of just, uh, kind of creating a scenario where, uh, the characters that are in, uh, in the president's inner circle have to fall in line with the president. And he can't, he, he's incapable of having any, uh, any type of pushback or anything. Uh, and with good reason, cause he's a fucking kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so once he becomes president, like this episode or this, uh, this moment where he's, where he becomes president and throughout the rest of the episode, it, the tone or the, the, I guess tone is the right word shifts a little bit, um, to being about the office of the president and the power within that office. So even with someone unqualified who makes a mockery of the office, uh, he can get away with everything because the office of the president carries a blind respect and dignity to it. Um, and that's the thought I had. And then suddenly I see freaking penguins on the White House lawn, <laughs> which I, I guess I get what they're doing. Like Oliver wanted penguins at the White House, whatever. But it's just like, that's just almost too random and weird. And I don't know. It just felt like a little too much. And then we see like the oval office is decorated with different, uh, gaming, uh, things. And there's a swing that the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, presumably is pushing him 
<laughs> and it's just, it's all in all, that's just, it's so, it's like ridiculous overload. And it just, it just feels like it's just so weird. Um, and Oliver, when he's swinging in the Oval Office, um, mentions that he's going to create a new vlog for, uh, like talking about troops and everything. And, um, then the chief of his chief of staff, I believe it is, says, I'm not sure vlogging is the best way to communicate. And that's about as subtle a Trump dig as the episode can manage. <laughs> and maybe the series as a whole can manage. Um, cause it just felt like clearly like substitute Twitter with, with vlogging. And, uh, you'll see that it's, you know, pretty clearly a dig at Trump. Um, also, I, like I'm almost done with this episode and I don't, I didn't pick up on a lot of Easter eggs. Like I did notice the Whipple brand arcade, uh, game in the Oval Office. It's a, it looks like a space, um, themed thing, which is going to come into play with the next episode. But other than that, I don't really know. I didn't really notice any other Easter eggs or anything. The cornfield being a reference to it's a good life. Like that's the only thing that I could really see. And that's kind of, that was kind of surprising. Maybe I missed a ton. Um, let me know if I did. Um, because it's, it's just, uh, it, it was weird because coming off of the last, what, five episodes, four episodes where, you know, there were tons of Easter eggs and everything. I could not pick up on it really that many Easter eggs in this episode. So, um, yeah. Uh, so Raph talks to the chairman of the joint chiefs. I think that that's who he was. And that scene is pretty funny like that actor is such like he plays it as such a military stereotype character um but it's it's really good like i was really into his performance um because he is blindly following oliver because of the offense of office of the president and just the way that he says like the way that he says his line about how he has to plan a like a uh government party for the president's sister or something or parade or something like that um it's just like he says it with such authority and such like uh such a such a military cadence that the fact that he's saying these frankly really ridiculous string of words (laughs) is just really jarring and kind of funny and this this scene between Raph and the, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is where the episode does a decent job of selling its main point, that the power of the presidency puts blinders on people and creates a scenario where someone can have, you know, way too much power for, for one person. And people are not willing to see the danger that it's presented, I guess. And, uh, like, I, I do like that the... Uh, chairman says, uh, this is the greatest country in the world. Everyone's happy about their video games. The approval ratings are through the roof. This is a tough time. This is a weird time to be talking treason. And just like, that's where you get like a sting of like threat. And it's just, it's really, I, I, I enjoyed that, um, about as much as I could in this, in this kind of somewhat over the top episode. Um, I also appreciate the homage to the shining that was in this episode where Oliver's riding the trike around the white house and, uh, it's kind of following him from behind, like the perspective, the camera is following him from behind, similar to Danny Torrance and the shining. Um, I appreciate that, but I mean, the series already did an homage to the shining, uh, like a more, much, uh, a more overt, uh, um, homage to it in the first episode. So it kind of feels like, okay, that's, that's fine. I already saw an homage to the shining, but okay. Um, so after the conversation with the chairman doesn't work out, Raph tries to appeal to Oliver's mother to intervene, but she is just as hypnotized by it as everyone else. And maybe that's the twilight zone element of the episode. Maybe Raph is imbued with some twilight zone power to get people to believe this insane idea that a kid could be president. Um, because Oliver's mother says like, everything you said came true. He connects with people. Everyone loves him and everything's, everything's going great. Like maybe, maybe Raph's power as a campaign, uh, manager is the twilight zone element of this episode. If that's the case, if that was the intention of, of the writer of this episode and the writing staff of the show, uh, I would have liked it to be better defined. Like it would have been, it would have been, I would have been a better episode overall if like it was just established early on that that's what was going on. Um, so when, when all that fails, uh, Raph talks to Mara who moved on after the campaign and is prospering in the, uh, Oliver Foley, er, 
era of of the country. Uh, and she says that Raph's mistake was staying with Oliver when he got elected. Um, and I like that. I kind of like that as, as kind of a, I guess a statement like, okay, these people worked hard to do this thing specifically for, uh, really Raph's hubris and his, uh, him wanting to get back on top. Um, and Raph stuck with it, but Mara moved on and is living a prosperous life now. Um, yeah. And sure. That's, it was fine. Um, so we get one of our last or second to last, um, hospital scenes where Raph says that he tried to do the right thing for once. And we get cut to the white house with Oliver putting, um, which obviously is, uh, feels like a pretty, uh, overt reference to, um, Donald Trump, who is fan, a fan of golfing, um, a lot. So this, like when, when, um, Raph comes into the room, it's another weirdly framed shot where Oliver is in the foreground and Raph is in the background and like, it's like Oliver's face is like superimposed in the frame and both Oliver's face and Raph's face are, I think they're both in focus similar to earlier in the episode. Um, but it just seems, it looks weird. It looks off. It looks almost dreamlike. And maybe, I, I don't know if that's the intention, if it's an artistic choice, but it just kind of felt a little off. Um, so, uh, Raph is, is going to voice his concerns to Oliver, but Oliver's, pissed that Raph is challenging him. He switches the lights to more creepy lighting. Um, and basically it comes down to, he just wants everyone to back him unconditionally. And that's where it's revealed that the dog was never dying, that Oliver manipulated everyone. And that's fine. Sure. And he gets angry about not getting a hole in one. He knocks down the golf balls and challenges Raph to tell him that it was a hole in one. And so this is the big moment of the episode where, Raph has to decide whether he's just going to fall in line with, with this kid president or if he is going to stand up and, and, um, kind of try to put an end to this, um, this, uh, craziness that he was the architect of. And John Cho's performance here, again, it's, like when he tells Oliver that it wasn't a hole in one, it's really good. Like he really commits to this role in the mo and it's the most insane role that you can imagine. Um, and I just, I really appreciated the, uh, the, the earnestness that John Cho gave in his performance in this episode. I thought that, that was, I thought he was, he was again, the saving grace of the episode. He elevated an otherwise very problematic episode for me. And, and, and also to kind of, um, pay tribute to Jacob Tremblay's uh, performance that that uh really creepy smile he gives right before he has Raph shot is really ominous and, and unsettling and and uh really good I I enjoyed his performance too and again I really hope that Jacob Tremblay has a has a long and, and prosperous career because I think that he's a very talented young actor um when the Secret Service agents shoot John Cho's character, uh, the blood spraying on the portraits behind him was a nice touch. I, th I, I enjoyed that. Um, and then we get a cut to the news clips showing that Raph Hanks has been vilified in the media and is, um, and, and he is like public enemy number one. And I'll play, I'll go ahead and play a clip of this, of these news pieces here, uh, right here. What do you think about Raph Hanks? Oh, I think he's the worst scum of the earth. How dare you try and attack that sweet little boy? The president dodged a bullet. Literally. Raph Hanks got what he deserved. He got what he Raph deserved. Hanks got what he Raph deserved. Hanks. Raph Hanks got, got what he got. deserved. So I think that that's a pretty strong, like, pre-ender to the episode. Um, and also the news tickers uh, in that scene talk about um, middle schoolers, and I think it was Oregon, uh, or yeah, Oregon, I think, uh, were taken into custody, custody for treasonous activity. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of like, obviously it's, you know, Oliver, his power has grown and he's, you know, taking in, uh, kids that he doesn't like as, as treason, treasonous, uh, people. Um, which I, I like that. It's kind of showing his growth and his kind of fascist leanings. 
So the episode ends with the shot of the hospital, and this is my favorite part of the episode because it is kind of leaning into the ridiculous nature of this of this episode. It's kind of the big money shot of the episode is that the orderly or nurse or who, whoever it was uh, tells him that tells um, Raph that he can't operate on him because the law doesn't allow him to be a doctor, and the uh, the president has appointed him his own personal. Uh, doctor to come and operate on him. And that's when we get the reveal that the doctor is just a little kid. And he's just like, uh, okay, uh, let's make this quick because I got to get back to my video games. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought that was a really fun way to end the episode because it is so out there and so kind of dumb, but it's, it's planted reasonably well throughout the episode like it makes you go back in like the line where the guy is like he's on a the doctor's on a different level like that's just it's just it's really um putting a pin on the completely ridiculous absurd reality that this episode exists in and it's just it's so i don't know i like i i thought that that was kind of a nice touch for the end of this episode it's just really fun and kind of creepy but silly and over the top but also it's and this is what i meant when i said earlier that i feel like this is the um maybe the most twilight zone this new twilight zone series has been so far um because this ending is a character is is the downfall of a character whose hubris got the better of him. He is suffering and is being killed as a direct result of his own actions that he admitted to doing um, strictly because he wanted to get back in the limelight. He wanted to have his own... He didn't do it out of um, nobility or anything like that or, or selflessness. It was completely selfish to have... Uh, to latch on to Oliver Foley to try to get him to be president because he wanted to get back up to the top of his game. He was very hubristic in that. And I really kind of really appreciate the way that the episode um, turned that on its head and made this kind of twisted end to this character that is a result of his own doing. Um, even if he tried to do the right thing at the end, like he was still victim to his own... Um, his own actions and his own hubris. And I mean, that's about the only, like that's, that's the biggest compliment that I can bring myself to pay to this episode, because again, it wasn't a great episode. It wasn't at times. It wasn't even really that good of an episode. It was just kind of the kindest thing I can say is probably just a mediocre episode. It's, I would say it's the weakest episode of the five that I've seen so far. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't work for me in a lot of places, but some places it did work for me. Um, yeah. So I guess that's my review of the Wonderkind. Um, finally got this review up. That's, that's so, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Sorry again for the delay, but I'm going to work hard to get the rest of these episodes going. Uh, let me know what you thought of the Wonderkind. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm finally going to be able to listen to other podcasters talk about it because, uh, when I do these episodes, I like to do it in a vacuum. So, uh, for the last three weeks, I have not listened to any reviews or read any reviews or moved on to the next episode of the Twilight Zone or done anything like that. So I'm really excited to finally dig into, uh, what people are saying about the Wonderkind. And I hope that, uh, you know, if you guys have opinions on it, even though it's a few weeks late, uh, please let me know. Tweet me at OV Anthology Pod. Um, you know, hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com slash anthology pod. Um, or email me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. I'm always looking for, uh, feedback from, from listeners and I'm really like hearing what you guys think of, uh, the new Twilight Zone and everything. So. Yeah. Okay. It is now 1230 and I have to work. I have to go to work in five and a half hours. Um, that's not right. Math is so hard, guys. <laughs> I have to be at work in six and a half hours. So, um, good God. <laughs>
Okay, I'm getting loopy. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this review. I'm going to have more soon, I promise. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Six Degrees of Freedom. Um, I'm looking forward to watching the episode, um, especially since it's a space episode. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I'll hopefully get that episode up and posted sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. On the main feed, I'll talk about the Prime Mover, which I talked about last... Uh, I teased last... Anyway, um, okay, I'm going to bed. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Let's hit it! So evident!